Matthew chapter 5, uh, we'll go there together in the text this morning. We're entering the Christmas season, and I love the Christmas season. I realize that, you know, I don't know how true it is. I've heard all my life, and especially as a pastor, seen it to some extent, that some people only go to church on Easter and Christmas. Well, okay, but I would like to say what better days, what better time to go than to hear the birth and the resurrection of our Christ. And I thank God for um, those opportunities. Christmas, the Advent season, is just a special time. I do not believe Christ was born on December 25. I think Nissan, probably over in uh, April, if not, I believe in uh, September, just from history. I don't think the date is nearly important as the fact is important. And uh, I thank God that we as a nation have set aside this time to worship the King and to celebrate His coming to earth. We'd better be glad to the depths of our soul that God became a man, a human being, a deity wrapped in flesh to identify with the fallen flesh, the, the, just the perils of being a human being. How many of you know we were born into sin? We didn't have to be taught how to steal. We didn't have to be taught how to lie. We, we weren't taught how to cheat. There's a nature in us. And therefore, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one righteous. No, not one. Thank God for the Roman road we travel. But aren't you glad that the debt we owed of sin, He came and paid it for us. That today, even though we were sinners in the past, my name's written in crimson red, the blood of Christ, in the Lamb's book of life, in the office of the highest headquarters in the universe, and Satan can't get to it in the closing hours. <laughs> If you don't have that assurance, let me tell you, you're missing out a lot of peace down here because it's the only thing that's going to be eternal. I guess I better get to the text. <laughs> Take it to the Christmas story. It's just a marvelous story. Have you ever contemplated all of the details? I mean, from, from the beginnings of the Scripture and many things that the Scripture does not tell us about the Christmas, but it, all the things that culminate in the Christmas message. And then the Easter message. It's just almost mind-boggling. It's almost mind-moggling. Um, maybe that worked better. I tell you, it's a, an amazing story to, to contemplate. But I want you to hear something today that I think is, is worthy of our attention. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. It is part of what was called the Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest, probably the greatest sermon ever preached. Our Christ gave it to the disciples. It's called the Beatitudes, and when you read through them, I'm going to read through them, and then I want you to read with me when I get to verse 8. So he says this, and contemplate this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's talking about humility. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. For the sake of Christ, we sorrow for those that are lost. We'll be comforted. Verse 5, blessed are the meek. You know what meekness is? It's not weakness. It's great strength under great discipline. 
Blessed are the meek. These people know how to control themselves. And that's, a, that's a, an element that God puts in our heart as we take on the nature of Christ. We don't give vent to self all the time. We don't fly off the handle in anger. and We don't do rash things. Ladies and gentlemen, we're under discipline. No wonder Jesus said those that understand and have meekness, that's who I'm going to turn the new earth over to. How many of you want to qualify for that? I do. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Verse 8, I want you to read it with me. Ready? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Look at me and let's do that together again. Ready? Blessed are the pure. How many of you want to see God someday? Then be pure in your heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Nine is blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Ten, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for there's the kingdom of God. Verse 11, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Ladies and gentlemen, we're in a strange hour on planet earth, and there's a lot of things we don't understand, but this much I know. I am convinced beyond any shadow of doubt what I commit to God, He is well able to keep it. My soul is anchored in something eternal, not the whims of, and the fads of this world. How many of you are glad you're, you're, you're contained and you're, uh, 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 I'm going to just say, possessed of a spirit from heaven? <laughs> wow. In your Bibles, if, or on your screen, two, back a page or two to the left, I want to go to chapter 2. This is the Christmas story. Talking about the wise men, we get to verse 2. They came from the east to Jerusalem, verse 2 says, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. We have read through these words many, many, many times. I wonder if we really contemplate something about these men from the East called wise men. I want to share with you a story that uh, I've read several of them, but the legends of the Taj Mahal are pretty interesting. They all are really fascinating. However, there is one that is not only fascinating, it's almost haunting. The favorite wife of a Mughal emperor by the name of Shah Jahan died. His favorite wife died. The emperor, so devastated by her death, he resolved to honor her by constructing a temple that would serve as her tomb. Her coffin was placed in the center of a large parcel of land. And construction of the temple to honor her life began to be built around it. No expense would be spared, I'm sorry, to make her resting place the most magnificent that could be seen. But weeks turned into months, and more months, and more months. And the Shah's grief was eclipsed by the passion 
that he obtained by the project. The Shah no longer mourned his wife's absence. The construction of her memorial consumed him. One day, while he was so busy walking the whole area across the construction site, the Shah bumped his leg against a wooden box. And as he brushed the dirt and the dust off of his pant leg, he ordered the worker to throw out the box. And Shah Jahan didn't know he had ordered the disposal of her coffin. Now forgotten, now a dirty, dusty box beneath layers of construction dust and rubble and time, the one the temple was intended to honor was forgotten, but the temple was erected anyway I wrote this little tab just for me. She was lost in the middle of the activity. How many of you know where I'm headed with this message? There it would stand, a shrine, magnificent, beautiful, with all the tapestry, with all of the design that could be ornate, with all of the decoration, yet the very one it was all to honor had been cast aside. I want to take a diversion just a minute and ask you, I wonder if that's ever happened before or after, since. I wonder sometime if we have done that ourselves. Perhaps we rejoice in hearing about a wedding, and I, I think it's wonderful. We just had four here in October. It was a pretty busy month. But then we spend so much time on decorations and invitations and planning and all that, as rightly we should, I believe. But let us not make the mistake of the shawl. Let, let us not forget about the bride and groom. I wonder sometimes, to more of a personal and a on-spot thing today, I wonder if across America, and I said that for your comfort, I wonder if we come to church sometime on Sunday and we shuffle our feet and we yawn with our mouths and we let our minds wander in 59, so to speak, directions and wonder how much longer the preacher's going to preach. I wonder sometime if we're so overwhelmed with the world that we bring inside the house of God that we forget to give Him genuine worship. Genuine worship. In the Christmas story, the wise men are a major part. The Scripture teaches us that they come to worship the Christ. And I will tell you that questions abound about these men. I have studied them. I have tried to read history. I've tried to research, and there are many directions you can go. But let me just suffice to say this. The questions are, who were they? And most people agree who they were. And then how many were there? And we use three as a number simply because of the gifts of frankincense, myrrh, and gold. But there could have been many more. But we say three wise men because we know of at least three gifts. Where did they come from is a good question. 
And research has said, of course, they come from the Scripture, they come from the East, but we know it was a great distance away because they had traveled for almost two years. And if you read the Scripture, and I know this may shock some of your Christmas story, but the three wise men, if we say, were never at the manger, and they did not bring those gifts to the manger If you'll read, the wise men came to a house which Joseph and Mary had been in and probably it was somewhere close to two years later. I don't think we're tearing the Christmas story up, putting them there. At least somebody came and worshipped. Amen. But that's that's the real essence. Here's two years. They traveled. They heard some things. They had some information. They had heard that there was a king of the Jews born, and they were following his star. So they came to Jerusalem in front of the King Herod, who was the emperor of the time, which had Rome, or had the Jews so totally suppressed. They said to the king, Herod, we have heard some things, king of the Jews, We have seen some things, a star all the way from the east. We have followed, we have traveled a great distance, two years. And we've come to worship the Christ. But watch this. They ask the most important question about it all. They ask this pagan king the question, where is he? Where is he? I want you to listen, because they said, we have come to worship him. Where is he? Ladies and gentlemen, our thoughts, our attitudes, our answer, our providing an answer to that question can and may determine our own absolute Christmas worship and perhaps that of many others if we can be aware of who it is and keep him in the midst of his birthday celebration. I want to just say something. I I won't be long this morning. I know you don't believe it, but it'll be true. Questions can be, these questions could be asked by several So follow me right quickly. First of all, where is he could be asked by the enemy, like Herod, who seeks to destroy anything about this Christ. And if you don't think there's enemies against this book and against Christ and against Christianity today, you better wake up, ladies and gentlemen. There's more coming. So it could be asked by the enemy. Where is he? Herod asked it. Where is he? You know why he asked it? Because he loved him, because he wanted to worship, Herod, he, he asked that question not because he cared about any prophecy or any knowledge of Christ, but because he saw the possibility of arrival of his throne and immediately out of jealousy and his power that he had puffed his, his ego up with about, tell me where he is that I can come and worship him too, but his whole heart was to destroy this rival. Perhaps we need to hear Christ say again that his kingdom was not of this world. Maybe we need to hear the prophecy about his birth of his kingdom. There shall be no end. Herods have come and gone for over 2,000 years, but his kingdom is still marching forward. (laughs) We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today, and ladies and gentlemen, there'll be no end to this kingdom. 
and Herods have come and gone and they're still here. But I want to tell you, his kingdom marches on. I believe there is a Herod spirit, if you'll allow the term, in each of us before we are saved. And maybe in this sanctuary or online, I'm speaking to someone who this might sound familiar. There in the depths of your heart and soul, there is no peace. There is a great amount of questions. There's a great amount of turmoil. There are all kinds of emotion and feeling, emptiness and loneliness and no answers to many questions. And if there's a God, why all this? And Satan will come as an enemy of Christ so that the enemy cannot allow Satan or Jesus to come and totally rebirth your life. There is a war going on for your eternal soul. Amen? And we all know about that. This enemy still wants to eliminate the Christ in any heart. These hearts that do not know the Christ not only have no peace, they have no rest. And you know what? It puts something in them. They're always alert. They're always a great defense. And cynicism at the, at the snap of a finger And ladies and gentlemen, they do that because there's no peace, there's turmoil, and it's, in a sense, dog-eat-dog in this world, and I must at any cost immediately stay in control of my life. And then when I can't control it, when everything goes wrong, everything goes south, the only means that I control, and people are chasing it today as they have for centuries and decades, let me tell you, they try to drown their sorrows in alcohol or drugs or sex or parties, anything in the world that's a pleasure season, but it only puts it off for a while. And hear me, the Scripture says Satan has a pleasure season, but he always adds sorrow to to it. Go ahead and have your fun. Go ahead and have that. And listen to the enemy of the Christ trying to to come into your heart and soul and bring you peace. But I'll tell you this, eventually you'll lay down in sorrow because he adds sorrow to the blessing. But I wanted to ask you something this morning. Really, are we ever really in control? Let me just tell you that you're either controlled by Satan today or you're controlled by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. That's who. There no man can serve two masters. You say, oh, Pastor, wait a minute. That's talking about mammon and money. It is, but it's talking about where your heart is, and your heart cannot half serve God and half serve Satan. And it's true. Christ is a rival against the enemy of your soul. And we ought to thank God He woos us and draws us and searches for us and tries to teach us and sends pastors and preachers and friends to say, this is the right direction. Give your heart to this, Lord, because I want to tell you, it will change your life forever. If that enemy is trying to keep your soul, and you're listening to me this morning, the best answer is surrender to the Christ because He's the only one that can bring you peace. And it's true. Christ is a rival to what the enemy wants to do in your life. I'm thankful. Herod never figured it out. We never see in history where he ever came to the Christ. And let me say, if you're here and you're weary of the battle inside for the throne of your life, choose Christ. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. Ask, where is he? And say, I want to worship him. I invite you in this sanctuary this morning to do that and those who are online.
It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. Amen. Number two, who might ask this question, where is he? I think it's asked by the unbeliever who scoffs. These kind of people were present even at the announcement of the shepherds. From his birth all the way to the cross, some scoffed, just like they do today. They're still here. They say things like something like this, this Jesus born 2,000 years ago, this Jesus that you call the Prince of Peace, where is he? Because there is no peace. Let me just say this, there is no peace without him in your heart. He has, what has his coming, how, what difference has it ever made? So let me, let me give you the true answer of those questions. To the scoffer that brings all those things to the surface, the answer is answered individually. Pastor, what do you mean? I want to tell you, for me, there's peace. For me, there's joy. For me, there's happiness. For me, there's fulfillment. For me, there is absolute security. For me, there is someone who way beyond my mentality that directs my steps and orders my steps. There is someone who has a destiny planned for me where I shall never, ever die. For me, it's been a big difference. <laughs> I cry, he's here. Where is he and where's the peace? I cry, he's here in my heart my mind, my soul, my body, my being. And that's what, that's what he paid for. When I was a five-year-old boy, I knelt at a oh, one-before altar, slat altar in a church in Paul's Valley, Oklahoma, and I said, here I am. You can have all of me. And I've never regretted asking, where is he? I'm very glad you asked. Thirdly, this question, where is he, might be asked by the cynic who sneers and ridicules the things of Christ. In the midst of this pagan holiday, you call Christmas, where is he? Where is this Christ of your Christmas celebration? And I want you to know that in America, we have pushed this issue until... We, you know, now it's not politically correct to say Merry Christmas. Um, now it's Happy Holidays, Season's Greetings. It's been going on for a while. But they ask, right in the midst of all this, where is the Christ in the Christmas? Amid the holly and the mistletoe and the lights and the decorated windows and the snowman and Santa and the Christmas movies. Listen, I, my wife's got me watching these Hallmark movies. You know what? I, do, I don't like getting older because I'm, I find myself even crying at Hallmark movies. <laughs> and I get frustrated because I know how they're all going to end. How many of you know what a Hallmark movie is? He, here's her, here's him, and they don't know each other, and something happens, and they meet, and they fall in love, and Christmas, New Year's is, I mean, Christmas Eve is the best thing, in their, and they're happily ever after. You say, Pastor, you're cynical. No, I just seen, 
but I can't. I, I, some, I, they, say, they say that as you get older, you get more tender. I, I can't believe I cried a Hallmark movie. He said, Pastor, you're less man than I thought. I don't want to disappoint you. <laughs> but the reindeer, the trees, the gifts, the parcels, the packages, the bows, you know, the icicles, the bells, the tinsel, the parties, the songs, all of that. But where's he? Where's he? I want to pray that every one of us, that we may not allow all these festivities during this season to drown out the number one voice that called me to an eternal salvation. Lastly, I think this question could be asked by the spirit of the genuine seeker. The one who seeks until he finds. And then once he finds, he, she follows the Magi believed so strongly, these wise men, they had so much faith, they spared no expense, went to great trouble for approximately two years. Don't forget, this has to be a round trip. They probably sacrificed somewhere around four, maybe little additional years to find this Christ. The Christ had been born. They followed the only clue they had. Their faith took them through miles of travel. It took them through diligent inquiry. Their faith took them onward to Bethlehem. All the time asking, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And even to the pagan king Herod. But here's the best news of all. When they found him, these were wealthy, powerful kings. They fell on their knees and worshipped him. He's the true king. And every knee shall bow. And every tongue will confess, even the kings from the far, that this Christ is the Lord of our God. It's so important that we know that. They worship. For them, life would never be the same. I heard a story years ago about a professor, very educated man, a respected man in his field. Did not believe in God. The professor attempted to teach his children that there is no God. He did permit his eight-year-old daughter to attend Sunday school. And she became a believer. I think the scripture says, except you become as a little child, meaning a tender heart. Away with the cynicism and all the scars and all the things that had brought you. Just listen, God can make you a new heart. How many of you know that God's in the new heart business? She was a believer. And one night, while he was busy in study, his little eight-year-old daughter came in and insisted to talk to him. 
When she came in, he took a long strip of paper and took a black crayon, and he wrote on this long strip of paper, God is nowhere. God is nowhere. He showed the sentence to her he had written on that piece of paper. He cut it up into pieces, mixed up the letters, and he said to his daughter, Now, honey, put the letters back together like I had them. She rearranged the pieces and letters, but it didn't come out like he had it. The sentence read, God is now here. You say, Pastor, why would you tell that simple little story? Because that's the difference in where I spend eternity. Her sentence, God is now here, ladies and gentlemen. That was the shepherd's announcement. And that is our announcement to this lost generation. Church, let's make sure that announcement is not only said by us, but it's lived by us. Shah Yohan was not the only one who mistakenly had lost sight of what was important. I read a stat just this week that broke my heart. I can't imagine what it does to the heart of God. I, I think this is staggering. It's shocking. Today, less than 1% of Israel's population are Christian. Less than 1%. And nearly 80% of the Israeli population do not even believe that God exists. If you think that Israel is not a mission field today, we better think again, amen? I have a, we have a young couple, the state of Oklahoma, even have relatives in this church they're headed next year to Israel, a man and woman, and I think three or four daughters going to go to try to spread the gospel to Jerusalem. There's something about, it's almost sinister, sinister to see how we can get so distracted Ladies and gentlemen, this is called the Holy Land. There are thousands upon thousands every year that come to see all these major points that were genuine history of the Bible. Listen, you can't do away with the facts that Christ was here. You can't do away with the fact that He was crucified. You can't do away, though they've tried, that He is resurrected. Show me His body. Show me where it lays. Show me any other prophet that ever resurrected. I want you to know this Christ was God's appointed salvation and it is true whether Israel believes it or not. But he said, he prophesied, my own will turn me, push me aside. We're so busy making a living. We're so busy sometimes celebrating the season. May we not forget this year to ask, and may I say and answer, where is he? Yes, he's the king of the Jews. 
but he's also the king of my heart. How many of you have you have him living in you? Jesus, Matthew 5, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Mom, Dad, I don't know what your plans are for your Christmas, but be sure when it's over, you know where He is. Every year I sit with my children. That's my two sons and my two daughters. And my grandchildren. And this year, I know this, I, I, know I only look about 40, but this year I was blessed with a great-grandson. Please let me have a moment of vanity. Someone asked, what in the world are you doing, Brooke? What's going on? You're, you're a great granddad. How's that affect you? And I said, not at all. I've been great my whole life. <laughs> You've got to have some kind of an answer. I'm a great granddad. This year I'm going to get to speak into his life. You say, Pastor, he's only a few months old. You'd be surprised what the soul and the spirit know. But I set my family down. And we talk about for a while God's blessings. We always have. We discuss the goodness of God. We talk about things that we're thankful for in not only in in a Thanksgiving kind of way, but for each other and how we feel like we're blessed among the families of the world. And then we talk about the future. Like Joshua, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Listen, you'll not make heaven by accident. It'll only be on purpose. Nobody's going to accidentally just stroll into the kingdom and say, wow, how lucky. Listen, I don't believe in luck at all. I believe in a Savior who bought and paid for my salvation. I don't live by luck. I live by, I live by directed steps. I have purpose. But then we talk about the future. I'm going to say this and I'm through. I do not point my children toward how much profit they may make the next year and stack the faces of presidents up in a concrete room. I hope you understand what I mean. I do not point them to great notoriety, though wealth and notoriety might have its place. I do not point them toward fortune. I do not point them toward fame. I do not point them toward power. I point them toward Him. Because He is the author. Say it with me in the finish. Where is He? King of my heart. In control of my future. I believe that true wise men and women and young people, truly wise human beings, Ask the question, where is he? 
and they ask it till they find him and then they follow him. The scripture says the beginning of wisdom is acknowledging God. When somebody this year doesn't know him, they ask the question, where is he? Not only live it, but give them the answer. Because ladies and gentlemen, this world needs to find him. How many of you know I'm telling the truth? Where is he? Where is he?